This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R sponsors. The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. By surprise. Two minutes past nine, you're listening to uh, 102.73 Triple R. This is Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name's Bron Burton. I'm Dr. Surf. I'm and Dr. Beach. I'm not wet and salty. Not today. No, it's too cold. You have been, though. Yesterday I was. Mm. It's a bit of fun, but gee, it's a bit chilly. I've still got my beanie on. <laughs> you too. So if you're in bed, stay in bed because it's chilly. Stay warm. Mm, but it's it's nice. It is. I love winter. Me too. Four point nine degrees when I got up, and it, apparently it felt like, according to my telephone, one point five. Right. And yeah, indeed, when I got in the car and I did get in the car, I didn't ride my bike. Um, there was ice on the windscreen. Mm. I was pumping petrol at seven a.m. or something, and I was thinking, <laughs> what do they do in Canada? I was so cold, I was almost dying. They just get on with it, Doctor Sir. Yeah. No, they don't whinge like old surfers. <laughs> <laughs> They're too busy running away from bears. Hey, thank you, Tim Thorpe, very much for vital bits, lovely vital bits this morning. Mm. Always is. Mm. What's that? <laughs> it sounds like you're talking about Tim's lovely vital bits. <laughs> <laughs> Get your mind out of the gutter, Dr. Beach. Let's go through today's program. We're shortly going to be joined in studio uh, by AJ. 
And AJ is a diver uh, from a group called Dive to You. We're going to find out all about Dive to You because they're uh, very interesting in terms of um, their makeup and who they are and what they stand for. Not your standard dive company. So really looking forward to talking to him about that anyway. But about a, a piece of work which is kicking off um, uh, next weekend now, as it turns out. We'll talk to him about that too. And it's to do with replacing the um, the Blegari Pier or part thereof. Uh, so a whole lot of uh, timber which is become um, untenable and needs to be removed and replaced. And the issue is Blegari Pier uh, has a lot of uh, growth. Uh, it's basically an ecosystem in its own right. And so what do you do with all these wonderful uh, sponges and encrusting corallines and ascidians and, and then all of the other little animals that use that to make it home? So uh, there's a, a great piece of work uh, about to kick off, which is going to go on for three months to relocate all these uh, sessile marine invertebrates mm. to uh, to their new pier. Speaking of piers, mm-hmm. the Mornington Pier got hammered last week. Yes, and it did. All, all the new um, supposedly storm-proof panels, nine of them got ripped off. I went and had a look at it. It was spectacular. Wow. So there's a little bit of local I, news. AJ might know something about that too. Yeah. Dr Beach, you're about to say? Uh, no, I was just about to cough and I did. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Thanks for sharing. I said it's a smooth, damn smooth show here. We've got this <laughs> then we're going to get a surf report from you, Dr Surf. Do you want it now? No. <laughs> So he's completely thrown us. And then we've got a very special guest coming in um, to... Uh, you can You can... Talk to this one, Dr. Sue. I, I will, and I'll make sure I get his name right, Bron. <laughs> we have to put an apology out there to anyone who has I, a look at our Facebook page. I spoke, it's, it's in not my defence, <laughs> Hayden O'Neill is his name. He's a young... <laughs> That's his right name, isn't it? I've got it? Nathan O'Brien written Yeah, down that's here. because Bron rang me up and I just got out of the surf and my brain was frozen and I had my contact lenses in. I couldn't read anything that was closer than a kilometre and a half. So I said his name was, was incorrect. His name's Hayden O'Neill, a I very nice it. young man from Mount Martha. Fantastic. And a photographer and traveller. And we're going to talk to him about his website, his book, his upcoming travels because he's on a plane this afternoon. Great. So that part of it is all accurate. It's, <laughs> it's like just that he's not Nathan O'Brien. No, not I think Nathan O'Brien's a friend of my son's. <laughs> I play basketball with him. So um, my apologies. But this is what happens with, you know, middle age and surfing and... We'll just take you out and shoot you. No, not yet. A couple of years. Couple Hayden of years. O'Neill. I'm, I'm correcting this. So, yes, if you missed that part of the conversation, I, I rang Dr Surf to say, who have we got on tomorrow? And I didn't ring you back because I was in the water. <laughs> <laughs> and then I rang you back. But things, I mean, if you surf at this time of the year, you'll know that things are quite cold and my brain just freezes. Fair enough. The rest of me's all right. It's just the brain. We're going to ask AJ about that too. I learned to dive at this time of the year. And That's gutsy effort. When you're underwater for, and it was under Flinders Pier for about an hour. I'm, I'm starting to sound very old. I'm talking about the old days. But, um, yeah, God, that the headache. You never forget that. And then... And uh, then we're going to do a bit of science yes. at the end. Um, an underwater microscope. We now have an underwater microscope of paper oh. has just appeared where you can get um, yeah, pretty good resolution down to almost a micron uh, microscope to physically take underwater, put it in place. It's, um, I want to talk around that. And if we have any more time, I'm going to talk about tracking sharks in the Seychelles. Fantastic. Fant- it, it is fantastic. It's a, it's a cool-looking machine. God knows how much it cost. But um, 
Yeah, looks wow. good. Awesome. Weather. Dr. Beach, I believe you're doing the honours today. Weather. It's a type of sheep, isn't it? Um, it's, I just, it's cold outside. Yeah, it's, it's chilly. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting pe- What's happening here? Someone's mobile's got their sound turned up. It wasn't me. Oh, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, guys. Um, 12 degrees today. Minimum of six, although it was 4.9 when I caught up. Uh, mostly sunny. Medium chances showers in the afternoon and evening with possible hail. Watch out. Winds north to northwest, 25 to 40 kilometres per hour. Uh, yeah, we might get one to five mils later on the day. Although it's looking damn sunny and fine out there at the moment. At the moment, um, tomorrow 14 degrees, seven to 14 degrees shower or two. Windy Tuesday, seven to 12 shower or two. Wednesday, 7 to 14, 60% chance of rain, 1 to 5 millimetres. Again, so not looking too much different. You know, a bit of, bit of rain, cold, it's good. Friday, warming up to 10 degree minimum. Tides, if you're going out on the water at Point Lonsdale, it is going to be... It was low tide just a little while ago at quarter past eight and it's going to be high tide at 3.15 at Lonnie. Hmm. And the surf's good. Going down to the west coast. Fantastic. The swell's dropping off, but it's still a decent size. The winds are good, but they're going to swing more northerly, so head down now. Brilliant. Hey, I've got a couple of thank yous for some uh, various items that appeared in the pigeonhole. The first one's to Marty Williams, who sent us um, a CD, and Marty's a long-time friend of Radio Marinara, and he launched this particular album uh, called The Seed last night um, down at the Balnaring Hall. So thanks for that, Marty, and we're going to play a track from that next week because we've already programmed our music from this week. Um, so thank you very much for that. All right, it's 16, nearly 17 minutes past nine, and you're listening to Radio Marinara on 3RRR. Now, Blegari Pierre, is one of Melbourne's favourite dive sites and home to more than 300 square metres of colourful marine sponges. However, it's got a big problem. A lot of Blegari Pier is also riddled with shipworm. Uh, so the wall needs to be replaced. But what of the sponges and all the other sessile marine invertebrates that call Blegari Pier home? For the next 10 weeks, a massive exercise in community volunteering will mean that sponges, coralline algae, ascidians and other pier-dwelling critters will be rescued from a fate of relocation to landfill. To tell us all about this amazing exercise we're now joined in studio by AJ from one of the collaboration partners dive to you good morning AJ good morning hey welcome to triple R thanks for having me oh thanks for um thanks for coming in and uh, just first up just to put this in context you called us during last week's show and uh, I look just wanted to put it out there look what can come of that and now here you are it's amazing so, so fantastic that you called us to let us know about this because we had no idea let's start um, by talking about Blair Gary Pier I was wondering if you can describe it for uh, some of those who haven't seen it because it's a very very popular dive location, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It'd probably have to be Port Phillip Bay's probably landmark sh- pier or shore dive. It is just incredibly overgrown with just beautiful sponges. It's an underwater photographer's paradise. And for those who haven't seen it, you could see it on snorkel, swimming or on scuba, and you'll be uh, hard-pressed to find anything more beautiful than that pier in the bay. Uh, maybe um, I thought maybe you could take us through a dive or a snorkel under the pier for those who haven't been lucky enough to go and check it out for themselves. Um, there's obviously been a lot of spider crabs around Blegari lately and <laughs> they've sort of attracted a lot of media attention. But when they're not around, what can you expect to see down there? All sorts of things. Cool little octopus. There's a variety of species of octopus there. Um, squids. As far as the critters that are growing or living on the wall, there's all sorts of shrimps and crabs. Um, fish. 
um, getting uh, onto the pier is very easy. There's a beautiful little lower landing there that was donated by the yacht squadron, uh, a nice little pontoon that will rise and fall with the tide. So getting in and out is really easy, otherwise off the beach. But uh, ultimately it's the colours that really strike you. It's just it's remarkably beautiful. Now, uh, we mentioned Shipworm, because Shipworm obviously calls um, Blagari Pier home as well, <laughs> but it's a bit of a problem, isn't it? Tell, tell us a little bit about Shipworm and why it's a problem. The Shipworm... Um I've got to pronounce this correctly. Toledo Novalis? Novaris? Does that yeah. sound right, Dr. Beach? Yeah, uh, yeah that sounds pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> it's good for me. I, I just remember for Holy Toledo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this little critter is a uh, coring bivalve. Um, so it's uh, evolved its shell to basically two boring bits and it'll core up through the grain of the, uh, of the timbers. So ultimately it's eating the wood from inside out as well as letting the water wash through and rotting it inside out. So... It's a uh, purpose of the wave wall, the timbers, is no longer functioning as a wave wall and that energy is passing through the uh, the marina. So hence the yacht squadron's having to replace it. Right. And so ship worm, it's not a worm as such, is it, Dr Beach? It's actually... No, as AJ said, it's a bi- bivalve. Bivalve, so a mollusk. Yeah, yeah, it's a mollusk. It's yeah. like a, you know, an oyster or a, a pippy. Yeah. Yeah. But mm. back from uh, ye olde days when ships were made out of wood, <laughs> they wouldn't have had the benefit of taxonomy... Of, of, of well, like okay, yeah, you know, we call lots of things. There are you know, like fish. How many things do we call fish? Starfish, jellyfish, all those things. Yeah. They're not fish. So you know, anything that looks vaguely worm, like it's got this thing that comes out, which looks like a worm. <laughs> for you, you go back and you can see the shells. But yeah, it's not unreasonable, I reckon, to call no. it a shipworm. All right, Even we won't get all caught elf. up on the semantics. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not going to get poncy here. <laughs> there is a little video on the um, Facebook page of. Uh, they found one in the wood after cutting it open so you'd be able to see what it looks like in mm. those two little coring bits. Right. Yeah, wow. really cool. How old is the pier? How long has it, has it been there for all these wonderful creatures to live around? Well, the, um, the vertical panels um, have been up there for about 11 to 12 years. Okay. So that growth is uh, well established now. And I guess our objective is to try and save it a little bit. Yeah, so this is a huge exercise. I mentioned earlier, 300 square metres. <laughs> How are you going to do this? Uh, with lots of help, hopefully. Right. Um, 300 square metres, so there's 150 lineal metres being replaced by uh, the commercial outfit there. And uh, we're, I guess we approximated out to about 5,500 sponges that we're going to relocate. And yeah, it's huge. That's massive. <laughs> Actually, I should have asked you earlier about your group Dive to You because you're one of the key signature partners in this particular exercise. Tell us a bit about Dive to You because you're not a regular dive group, are you? No, no. no. Uh, uh, we're independent instructors, so we're independent of any shops or any retail outfit. And uh, we set it up that way so that we had the flexibility to, you know, to do projects like this as well as continue to train and whatnot. And uh, we're a mobile outfit, so we don't have a fixed address as far as, like, a retail shop. Um, we've got a big mobile HQ. We're 100% independent. We can go wherever we want. Uh, and in part, um, we also partnered up with Sea Shepherd, and we're uh, Australia's first Sea Shepherd dive partner. Right. And that explains, I was having a look at your website last night, there's a lot of Sea Shepherd um, reference. Fly and in the flag. Yes, yeah. and uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Brilliant. So, okay. Sorry, Brian, who else is helping you out with this massive task? Yeah, well, the, the Yacht Squadron itself has been, uh, well, I guess pivotal in allowing us to do the, uh, the project itself. Uh, the commercial outfit there, Agar Divers, uh, Bert, his nickname, or Brent, um, he's been really helpful about explaining his processes and how we can integrate and, and work with it. 
the people who are supplying the adhesive. Oh, we donated some of it to start with, Aqua Blue Distribution. Uh, they're helping us out. We've got Aussie Erosion that's throwing in some netting. Um, and uh, we'll come back to the adhesion bit yes. in a minute because that's, that's a really crucial element to this. But the Victorian National Parks Association... Yes, the VMPA. They're bringing in a citizen science element to this whole project. Absolutely. So once we've completed the relocation works... Clearly, it's such an important project, so now anyone and everyone can virtually come in and, and really science the heck out of it. So the ongoing monitoring of it, we really kind of needed some help with that because I've never really done it before. And so we've met Cade, the new Reef Watch coordinator, and he's uh, said, hey, I can help you out with that and create a bit of a citizen science project moving forward. So really happy to have the VMPA on board and, and Cade's expertise to help us with the ongoing research. Uh, HJ, you mentioned adhesive before, so you take, you're going to remove sponges and stick them onto something else, somewhere Absolutely. else? Yes. It's gloriously simple, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and we're not talking arrow diet or, um, no, you know, no. <laughs> your basic super glue. I'm wondering, is there, is there a special sponge glue? Um, not per se to say that this is specifically sponges. We've uh, found a product, well, mostly because we know that sponges can't come out of the water. Um, we risk... Yeah, killing them. <laughs> um, so we needed to find a product that would work underwater and we found coral glue uh, manufactured by Ecotech out in the States, distributed by AquaBlue. Yep. And um, long story short, it's a glorified super glue in like a gel format that uh, we can apply underwater. Um, so it's pretty much cut and paste. Mm. And where are you, you going to relocate them to? Very good question. So as uh, working with Ago, what they're going to do is... Um, basically replace about 15 metres of wall a week and on the weekends we're going to come in and basically remove or harvest ahead of them and then glue onto the panels that they've replaced during that week. So a bit of a before and after. So that way we don't have to scrape in advance and worry about um, trying to keep them alive in nets or bays or anything like that and keep it really minimalistic and then just... You're going to do it as they go? Yeah. Fantastic. Um, VMPA put out a press release on Friday and mentioned that this is possibly the largest sponge transplant ever attempted. That's huge. Yeah. Um, Have you got the didn't... Guinness Book of Records on, st- on standby, <laughs> ready to verify it? Probably didn't anticipate the size of it, <laughs> yeah. but nonetheless, the passion's there. <laughs> That's absolutely fantastic. So this is going to take... Yeah, sorry, Dr Beach. No, no, I didn't mean to like jump in now, but, but I'm just wondering, it's not only sponges, but all the other beautiful invertebrates that are there, so ascidians and this encrusting algae, coralline algae, Bron mentioned before, that those as well? Yeah. Is it the whole kit and caboodle? Oh, as much as we can without, obviously... Oh, we're going to need a lot of glue. Yeah. So <laughs> depending on how <laughs> and much... And a lot of people. <laughs> and a lot of people. So depending on how much glue, obviously it's how many... I guess samples. So we're going to approximate to 10, 10 samples per vertical panel. Multiply that. That's where we get our five and a half thousand. Um, but we did two rounds of testing already. Um, our very first little uh, um, sponge that we relocated, we came back three days later and there's a little red-handed shrimp leaving on it. So that Aww. is, yeah, I know. Aww. Doesn't that make you feel good? <laughs> <laughs> so um, it obviously works. You've done a trial. Yeah, so we yeah. tried some other sponges and ascidians and, and things like that and they all survived... Um, uh, the gluing process, and at least 50% of them survive those couple of spates of storms that we have that really rough weather. So without any secondary um, support, like the netting for mozzie erosion, f- at least 50% of them stayed through that storm, so it was fantastic. Yeah, I was going to ask on that because we've had some heavy storms down on the peninsula the last couple of weeks, and we were talking before about the damage to Mornington Pier that mm-hmm. occurred last week. Um, do you get 
that heavy wave action down Blair Gary that we get at, at Mornington, or is it not quite so severe? And not quite as severe. Um, with the outer seawall at the Blair Gary Marina, there that kind of really yeah. absorbs a lot, okay. and that's made of concrete, so yeah. you know, the, the habitat there will survive. But as far as uh, what's coming through the wall. Uh, unless it's an orderly directional wave, it's kind of pretty protected. Yeah, I was just thinking because Blegaria is kind of where the where Port Phillip Bay curves around, so it's going to be more protected from the big strong southwesterlies that come through. Whereas Mornington, further up, is is going to be a lot more exposed yeah, to it. Exactly. Yes, yeah, so the northwesterlies again, Mornington. Yes, mm. and um, hopefully this time of the year we don't get too many strong northerlies. So we'll be keeping our fingers crossed for yes. calm weather. <laughs> now, one obvious question, and I, I know the answer to this because you told me earlier, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, how are you going to be sure that you you can transplant all the other uh, animals and plants and not take the shipworm with it? Um, well, as we know, the shipworm lives in the wood. Um, so part of Blair Gary's requirement is that the old timber hit the tip and obviously we're trying to get to that before the marine life, before that happens. So we're scraping the sponges directly off the wood and not taking any wood with us. Um, using a glorified tool called a paint scraper and <laughs> <laughs> and gluing it onto the new timber. So the transfer there should be isolated um, or non- non-existent. So uh, what are your plans over the next few months? Because you're looking for people to, to come and give you a hand. Yes, <laughs> yes. Scraping and gluing. Um, I'll be perpetually cold for the next uh, at least 10 weeks. Um, this has obviously grown to something very big and so we've given it a lot of time so we'll be pretty much just concentrating on this trying to generate volunteers uh trying to raise funds to purchase the rest of the glue because we need about 55 liters of coral glue just to get through the 10 samples per plank sort of okay so you need fun- so there's fundraising that'll be happening to buy the glue um and uh and you'll obviously need people on hand both to go underwater and help you out but are there jobs that people can do if they don't dive? Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we've set it out so that underwater there's two teams, a harvesting transporting team and then a, uh, an adhesion team. But we do need surface support. Uh, we do need um, uh, people to help out on the surface. Uh, we've got little attendants that will help transport the crates around via rope, helping us set out, as well as sharing it and spreading the word and trying to recruit some more volunteers and, and get you know, the local community in the water. Fantastic. So what's the best way that people can either donate um, some money if they feel like that's the best thing that they can do to help you buy the buy the coral glue? Uh, oh, it's such a great concept. Or, or if they just want to get down there even for a weekend. Are you mostly going to be working on weekends or through the week as well? It's primarily weekends at this stage uh, until... Um uh, we get, it, I guess, the formal okay to run midweek, but there's a chance that we'll run one or two midweek sessions as well. And that's just to help cover that 15 metres per week. Uh, so, um, but the best way to, to keep up to date with information and, and work out which sessions you're, you're able to volunteer on is to hit the Facebook page, Operation Sponge, and in the event section, it, we've, you can see all the sessions that we've listed. So every Saturday and Sunday, there's an AIM and PM session. Um, we've run one supervisor induction already to get people who want to come on a more of official capacity and uh, you know, open the doors and share the love. Um, so we'll be running one and another one in a few weeks so the people want to come on, obviously, in a, in a, a larger capacity. Brilliant. So Operation Sponge uh, Facebook page, we'll put a link directly to that on our Facebook awesome. page and then people can go from there. Fantastic. Thanks, AJ. Thanks, guys. Good luck. Thanks for sharing the love. Hey, Good can, luck. Can we keep in touch with you over the next 10 weeks? Oh, absolutely. I'd like to get a, uh, an update at least every couple of weeks, maybe even every week, to see how it's all travelling. Not a problem. See this I'd thing through to. to the end. Anyway, let's move right on. And on the line, we have my special guest today. Hayden, are you there? 
Hey guys, how are we doing? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good, good. Thank you. Have you packed yet? Um, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I hope so. Hayden's off to. Where are you going today? Ah, uh, fly out to Japan tonight for, uh, for two weeks. And on and then, from there. Yeah, on from there, go to Hong Kong uh, for, a couple, for four days and then um, go to Bali after that and then Sri Lanka and then back to Bali. Now, as a way of introduction, Hayden is a photographer from Mount Martha down my way and I thought I'd get him on the show because of his beautiful photos that you can see on his website. Now, what's your website address, Hayden? Uh, HaydenO'Neill.com.au And also there's some other, other things on there that we'll have a chat about, such as your... Yep the book cinema paradiso there's some um wouldn't call them blogs but they're little zines on there as well yeah just just, just from my trips and, and working with a few people so i thought i'd get you on because you've got an interesting lifestyle hayden you're not exactly what you call a nine to five <laughs> no work not really. slave <laughs> i don't really like yeah i hate that nine to five Grind. so just tell us in in summary what you do you've been a photographer for how long um pretty much since i was 16 um and just been primarily focused on surfing. So um, that's we'll, we'll just say away. that you're that's been nine years. So you're, yeah, you're, no, oh yeah, nine years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and your year is made up mainly of of you were saying yesterday you take anywhere between three to four trips a year. And yeah, I'm trying to for sure. Are they structured around your photography or around surfing or? Um, mostly photography, um, and then you know I like to get away with myself, obviously wherever I go. Um, but yeah, it's solely purpose is pretty much photography. And you you put your shots up on your website, but do you also do commercial work to fund uh, these trips? Yeah, a little bit here and there. Um, mostly like local brands down here, and then a few like when I'm in Bali, I was in Bali last year. I did some work over there, but it's yeah, prime focus is mostly just surfing and the lifestyle surrounded around that. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I'm very jealous. So just. To reiterate, you're off this afternoon. Um, yep. Where are you going again, and, and what do you hope to achieve on this trip? Um, well, yeah, fly, fly to Tokyo tonight. Um, and then sort of, yeah, the Japan part of it is more of a culture thing. I just really like Japanese food, so... <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> the primary reason I'm going there. Um, and then hopefully maybe get some waves over there. Um, and then Hong Kong's just a bit... I don't know, I've heard good things, so I thought I'd check it out. And then Bali and Sri Lanka pretty much, yeah, just surfing and hanging out with the boys, I guess. Hey, Hayden, it's Bron. Um, you were just talking about um, surfing in Japan. Can you talk us through what surfing in Japan is like? It's probably not something that the, uh, you know, the, the, the standard person walking around on the street like myself would think about in terms of surf locations. Yeah, it's, it's one of those places, I don't know, it's... It's got a huge surf culture over there, um, and you know they love that the whole surfing band sort of side of it. Um, but you really need like a typhoon, so you need like big storms to get waves, you know, to their river mouths and that sort of thing. And they have on their day they have some of the best waves in the world. Um, yeah. In the past, I've seen amazing footage come out of there. Yeah, I've seen it too. And, and we are coming into typhoon season because it tends to be late summer up there. So. With any luck, you'll yeah, get some waves. Well, fingers crossed I get something, but it does, the forecast doesn't look great at the moment, so I'm not really going to focus on that too much. Uh, just eat the I'm food. It's up. all beautiful. Now, yeah, um, where have you been on, in some on some of your other trips? Um, I, used, I did a stint in Micronesia, which um, just at Pea Pass over there, and I worked at the, at the resort over there just taking photos. So that was a couple of years ago now. 
Um, I've done a few family trips here and there when I was a bit younger, and then I've done trips to Fiji, uh, heaps of times Bali, uh, Sri Lanka before as well, the Maldives, Mentawis. Um, I noticed some shots. Sorry, some shots from New Guinea. Have you? Is that correct? No, not New Guinea. I haven't made it over there yet. Okay. Very good. Sure. So last month you had a a, um, a little exhibition down in Mornington with yep, um, yep. A, with Cocky in Cochrane. Yeah, yeah. How did that go? Funny guy. Um, yeah, it was good. It was a good night. It was just at the new Black Spot uh, Gallery. It's one of my buddies and his um, old man run it there, um, and it's an amazing. It's an amazing little place. Um, it's definitely worth checking out if you're in Mornington. Hey, Hayden, talk us through some of your surf photography. I'm just wondering for people who might be interested in going along and seeing one of your exhibitions or, or buying one of your um, one of your publications, talk us through yep. what... Is there a sort of particular element of surf photography that you're interested in? Is it, you know, more about the waves? Is it seascapes? Is it about the surfers? You know, what is it in particular um, that interests you? I would say it's more about, for me, I guess, yeah, like I like shooting big pals, um, stuff like that. But it's mostly, I really like shooting airs. So, like, I've got a lot of, like, friends who just, like, they're sponsored and I can shoot them and, you know, it's, it's ideal because they, they surf really well. And I think it's just, like, the aspect of big punts and that sort of thing and big air reverses just really, I don't know, it just resonates. Yeah, there's, me, a, cu- there's a couple of terms in there I'm going to ask you about. So what's <laughs> when you're shooting airs, what does that mean? Is, um, is that, so like, catching surfers up in the air, like they've gone up off the wave? Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, that, that, that's pretty much basically what it is. Right, okay, cool. Yeah, it's come from skateboarding. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Ah. It's a big part of surfing now. So is this, this is sort of um, junction meeting point between surfing and skating terms, is it? Yeah, there's, there's always been a, a trans flux, if you like to call it, between them. And, yeah, there's the, if you watch any of the pros, air score very highly. In right. pro competition, yeah. so they're all going for them, and, and some of them are just amazing. Right, I, th- I think definitely like that. Yeah, that's my favourite aspect of surfing for sure. And it's just that spectacular nature of it. Is that what it is, or just the the um, um, athleticism that goes into be able to do something like that? I think just it, it just probably just excites me a bit more. I guess. Right, um, it's very spectacular you know, like, visually. Yeah, yeah, definitely, especially from the water. Like being behind the surfer as they sort of launch is. I just, I don't know, I just really love that view. Um, and it gives someone, you know, like an everyday punter that different aspect that they wouldn't see, I guess. Yeah, it certainly is. And there's some great shots on, on your website of that. Now, just finishing up, you've got a book that's just come out called Cinema Paradiso. Just give us a little bit of information on yeah. that, what's in it, how much does it cost, where people can get it. Um, so it was just, I had it on my mind for a while that I wanted to do a book, but I just didn't know how to go about it. So I decided I'd do just compile all my favourite shots from sort of over the last five years into a book. Um, and it's pretty much from places like Bali to Shul- to Fiji, Micronesia and around home. Um, and it just features a couple of different surfers and a lot of palm tree shots and, and wave shots. Um, and then I had a launch night at Snake Hole Gallery in Mornington, mm-hmm. um, which is a really, really fun night. And then it's just been online on my website ever since that. It's uh, retails at $60. Um, and I've got, I think it's only like 15 copies, I think, left. And then that's sort of it. I'm not going to do a rerun. Okay. Are there any um, local surfers that feature in that? Um, yeah, my buddy Nick Wallace, he's in there. Um, and then there's a lot of international um, surfers in there as well. But it's mostly it's mostly um, empty waves and 
and palm tree shots. Okay, well, thanks very much for your time, Hayden. And no um, and just just for one last time, if anyone's interested in uh, looking at your photography or purchasing your book, where can they get it? Uh, just on my website, um, just haydenoneal.com.au. Um, and I'll be, while I'm away, I'll still be selling that. But, yeah, like I said, there's only about 15 copies left, so... Okay, thank you. Well, have a wonderful trip, and and please get in touch thank with you. us when you get back. If you're having any yeah. more um, uh, exhibitions, we'd I'd love to come along, and, and we'll keep uh, our listeners posted. So again, have no a great worries. time. Thanks, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Hayden. See ya. Bye. And that was Hayden O'Neill. Great. Not Nathan O'Brien. No, not Nathan O'Brien. I, I just thought, what a wonderful lifestyle. So I'll, I'll get him on, and I'm terribly jealous, but. It's all beer and Skittles down on the peninsula, isn't it? (laughs) Well, it is for some. Hi, this is Tim Whitten. If you want to know what's going on in the ocean, tune in to Radio Marinara on 102.73 Triple R. You know where it is. We've got all the elements today. Oh, it's all stars. Our very own Tim. Yes. Yeah. Let's... (laughs) (laughs) Something much less serious. What have you brought in for us today, Dr. Beach? What have I got? I've got got a paper from Nature Communications entitled Underwater Microscopy for In-Situ Studies on Benthic Ecosystems. We forgot about the underwater microscope. The underwater microscope. It's in this underwater world. Um, In the past, we've had... People have been able to set up kind of large magnifying glasses, almost optical systems to look at plankton in situ by in situ we mean in place and things in the water but it's so been underwater. really underwater we're underwater so what we're trying to do now is and what people have wanted to do for a very long time is to have a microscope underwater so you can look at stuff really really close and so you don't have to kill it so you can actually you don't have to kill it and you can watch it in as it's going about its day-to-day job of work so for example there's all sorts of in bad environmental problems happening, which we talk about a lot. One of them is coral bleaching. Corals can recover. Well, when corals bleach, they lose their zooxanthellae or the unicellular algae that live with them and give them the colour and give them all sorts of goodies. They sometimes return to the bleached coral. And it would be really nice to be able to watch, not in a tank, not in a fish tank, so ex situ, not, you know, not something out of the water, but something which is actually in the water in place like that so the individual algae returning to the corals over time Mm. but up until now we haven't had any means of analyzing that and recording it we don't have an underwater microscope until now now, presumably this thing looks a little bit different to your conventional microscope that involves well, slides I, I, without and Without getting too kind of nerdy here. Lots of us might have used a microscope. <laughs> so you can imagine the thing, you know, it sits on your bench and then you get your slide and you shove it underneath and then you've got the, the objective, so the lens that sits down on top of it, that's called your objective lens. Yep. And remember how, you know, if you've gone to uni and done a first-year prac class, the first thing you do is grind the... The you know the the microscope shoot down onto the lens onto the slide and break it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's what you, that's when you're trying to focus is move that tube up and down. Yeah. So you've got to do that. It's and, a rite of passage. Yeah, it's a rite of passage, and that distance where you grind it up, where you wind it up and down, and hopefully not grind it through the glass slide is what you call <laughs> the working distance. And to be able to magnify anything really well, you need to have a very small kind of working distance because of the numerical aperture and all sorts of things to do with the lenses to be able to magnify something well. So this has been one of the problems. So you can't literally take 
a microscope down into the water with you. Number one, you don't want to be invasive with the corals, which have perhaps got these algae returning to them. You can't take a section of it, put it on a glass slide, and then whack it under your microscope underwater. It's not just a simple case of waterproofing your microscope. You've got to come up with some completely different thing where you've got a lens which is kind of sticking out on its own, Mm. which is going to be able to magnify well, and a lens which also has a large working distance. So it doesn't have to be sitting, say, a millimetre or two above the object, but rather you have a leeway of, you know, perhaps a centimetre or something like that so you can play with it. And and then you've got to be able to focus rapidly. And then imagine being underwater where you've got surge surge and all sorts of crap happening and it's, it's pretty hard. So there's a number of different problems. And then you have to illuminate it. So on a normal microscope, you have the light coming from underneath. So it's called transmission optics. Whereas the other way you can do it is reflective optics where you have light coming down. Right. But if you're looking at something really small, you need a lot of photons. You need lots of light there blitzing it. These dudes from the Scripps Institute at La Jolla. At good, La, old La Jolla. La, good old La Jolla. Good old La Jolla. La Jolla. La Jolla, which is down near the Mexican border. Um, Scripps Institute, very famous oceanography very famous. place. Um, four blokes from there, well, four people from there. Um, yeah, not just blokes. We've got Jennifer E. Smith, Andrew Mullen, Tali, Paul, you know, also Jules, the old mate, Jules. No, I don't <laughs> know these people at all. Um, they have come up with, presumably, they've put a lot of effort into this, this thing which barely looks like a mo- microscope, but it actually works well like a microscope. Is it's it brilliant. portable, though, or do they just bolt it down there and not, then not leave it's it portable. Here's a picture of divers, you know. Oh, I'll hold it up to the microphone. Yeah, no, let's hold it up to the microphone. It comes in two bits. You've got this control unit, which the diver's next to, and then it's got this arm, ah. which has got sort of this cylinder-shaped object, which has got the objective lens in it, so the all-important lens, which will do the focusing, uh, which and will capture that image. And that's all connected back to this computer unit, the control unit that the diver's got. So you've got these two main bits which are encased in a waterproof housing. Which is probably only about 20 to 25 centimetres long. Yeah, it's about the size of a, I don't know. Standard ruler. Yeah, a standard ruler and it's 10 centimetres wide so you've got these two tubes and the control unit of course has got a large ass camera in it, a computer and uh, presumably it can take video as well. It's not just It stills. can take video. It's got a battery, which will... A uh, battery life. But the, one of the other really fascinating things about this... But before I get on to more describing the microscope, what it does do... So you can imagine... I was talking about this last night with my son trying to figure out, like, how much... So a normal, micro, a normal camera, so a, with a macro lens, you know, you can get up really close to something, that actually doesn't magnify much at all, if anything. That macro lens just enables you to get really close and focus. So it's dealing with your... your depth of field, focal plane, all of that. Whereas here, what we want to do is truly magnify something. Yep. On a microscope in a lab, you can magnify up to, you know, 100 times, even 1,000 times. But with this, what they've been able to get is nowhere near that resolution but or that magnification. But what they have been able to do is get an effective magnification of almost 10 times. Now, that mightn't sound like a lot, but what they, what they have is a field of view, so that the amount of area that you're actually looking at and magnifying of around one and a half millimetres by one and a half millimetres. And with that, so they can blow that up to a resolution of about two microns so that you can see something which is two microns and separate it from another point which is two microns. So that's the important thing, having that resolution and at that magnification. So they can then visualise unicellular algae coming back into coral polyps, for example, 
they can visualise all sorts of potentially now. So this is, that's what they've done to demonstrate the, the, the effectiveness of this microscope. It's quite, it's quite revolutionary, isn't it? Oh, it absolutely is. That's why it's in Nature Communications. Yes. I'm going to put a, um, on our Facebook page... Uh, outside um, when, we, when we're done. I'll take a photo of this. I'll have to probably do it from home, but I'll take a photo of what's actually in this article so it gives our listeners an idea of what we're looking at here because it's actually really fascinating to see how it works. Oh, and, and the more, for, you know, for the people who are interested in cameras and microscopes, and it's one of the really cool things about this is the lens. So you need to have rapid focusing yep. to be able to see stuff happening well and to get nice resolution. And the way they've done this is not with an ordinary lens, which you have to move in and out, but rather the lens itself changes shape mm. um, so that you can get, so you can change the focal plane and so you can get the focus. And the way it changes shape is that it's made up of, not of glass, but of like this jelly right? surrounded by this plastic, which can deform. So the plastic, so in response to it detecting where it wants to actually focus on, so it's auto, kind of automatic focus, this lens changes shape really quickly to change that focal plane, which is completely revolutionary. And plus the objective lens is a really big working distance lens. So it's not that you don't have to be right sitting on, right on top of the object and therefore interfering with its natural lifestyle. The potential for this instrument is absolutely enormous. And I imagine You can hear our, how excited I am. Well, yes, you've gone all techno on us, Dr Beach. Which Too is, techno? No, not at all. It's all I find it fascinating. Um, I do find it fascinating also that they've come up with an acronym for this thing, a, a benthic underwater microscope. Which is, of course, the BUM. BUM. Yeah. <laughs> what you thought my mind was in the gutter. It's what? the BUM. Well, it's, it's yeah. a, it, which takes it has a different meaning, I guess, Does in the US. Does it mean the US, same thing but it's in the still, US? Well, it's more, it it's more... It, it, well, yeah, it's more um, kind of a, a an like permanent barfly. Anyway, this, uh, this has yeah, many, exactly. many, many different potential applications yeah. for, and I imagine um, for every, monitoring. Every stuff. marine science institute in the world is going to be wanting one of these toys. Every marine boy and his dog's going to want one. <laughs> My dog doesn't want one. And girls. Yeah, yeah. So I, that, I that, that really excited me. And there's a few you, other you've papers You've got about around. 20 seconds. Well, you... all right. Let's, let's, so just one of them, another. So here's a project which has gone to Greenland and they're looking at algae. So you get red, blue, green algae, all these things which are in the ice. Mm -hmm. And they think that that's going to increase the melting of the ice sheet because you're changing the colour of it. So they want to distinguish between the different colour algae and perhaps the black soot which is around. Um, so what do you think this project might be called? Black and Bloom. <laughs> Nice. Lol. Lol, 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 lol. <laughs> Nice lol to finish on. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Dr. Yakety Beach. Yak, yak, yak. <laughs> you got more science papers there too. i got a stack We of gave them. you lots of time today. You got all excited I about your underwater microscope. I want the entire show. <laughs> you can have it's that mine. next time. It's all mine. <laughs> Done. I'll do, I'll do the music. <laughs> no way. No more Barry Wine. You can listen to Gold FM and hear that. Thank you, Dr. Surf. My pleasure. Thank you, Nerida. She's been paneling for us today, <laughs> keeping us... Very organised. Thank you, Kent. He always keeps us very organised. This has been a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.